Yo, 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 welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. I almost felt like I was going to rap a verse right there, <laughs> but I pulled back. I pulled back just a little bit because I didn't want to give them everything. Um, you know, we've got we've to keep some stuff in the stash for later down the line. But anyway, I just want to say thank you guys for listening to the Outside the Box podcast. I am Jacques Slade. We appreciate you guys listening slash watching if you're catching us here on YouTube. Uh, this has been an amazing ride. This show is just getting better and better every week. And a lot of that is because of you guys, your comments. They really, really make this show better. And we're super thankful for that. Uh, again, I'm Jacques Slade. I am the sort of kind of host guy of the show uh, i'm the guy that does the majority of the introductions part of the show it's like if this was a, a college class i would be the ta and these two would be the professor i'm just the guy that tells you where to sit in class and these are the people that give you the education that you need to grow bigger better and stronger of course i'm talking about nick ingvall and tiffany beers so nick go ahead tell them where they can find uh, i uh i don't know if i could think of myself as a professor um, but okay, thanks for the intro. Uh, you can find me at Nick Engvall on all platforms or my site Sneaker History at Sneaker History on all platforms. But really, I'm just more like, I guess, like in Shock's example, like a desk leg or something like that, holding up so Tiffany can uh, tell, them, tell them where they can find you, Tiffany. Yeah, I think I'm the one grading the assignments. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, Tiffany Beers, I've been in footwear for over a decade. I used to work for Nike, uh, Tesla, and Rubbermaid. And I may, may have ridden on Daytona's racetrack on the back of a superbike and went 177 miles an hour. So there's two things in there, Ben. First, I love how she just just drops the Tesla plug. Just like, oh yeah, I just I worked at Tesla. I've been there, done that. And and then the fact that you just throw around this race car stuff. See, first last time we heard about you in race cars, it was just like, oh, I've been like part of the pit crew, and that's one thing. But it's another thing entirely to be like, oh yeah, and I went 140 miles an hour around the racetrack. Um, could you please? I I'm curious. Um, Please explain that and why weren't you in fear of your life? <laughs> well, it was on the back of a motorcycle. And do you guys remember Michael Jordan Motorsports? Oh, yeah. Yes. So we were helping them with some product and for designs on the bike. And I had an opportunity to meet with some athletes. And they said, hey, you want to go for a ride on the back of the two-up um, motorcycle? And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> It was terrifying. It was hor It was really terrifying, but it was super fun. So yeah, they give you a ride on the back of Jason Pridmore. Um, wow. He's pro pro super bike rider, and we went 177 miles an hour. Oh, 177. I had 100. I said 140, so I discounted you 37 <laughs> miles. So I, I, apolo I apologize for that. So um, another takeaway from that, I love how this this onion is just unraveling now. So you 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 design help design the bike. No, I, I was more of a kind of a production assistant. Uh, Mark Smith would design the kind of the colorways of the bikes and like some of the graphics and things that would go along with it on their leathers and on the gas tanks and all kinds of stuff like that. Is that still around? Oh, good old Smitty. <laughs> yeah. Good old Smitty. I, I feel like I can call him Smitty because I did, a, uh, I did an unboxing with Tinker and Mark Smith. 
and Tinker was just calling him Smitty the whole time, and so now I feel like I can call him Smitty too. <laughs> um, I probably can't, and I know the next time I'm seeing him, I'm gonna be like, Mr. Smith, uh, how are you, sir? <laughs> I'll, I'll call him. I'll just call him Smitty when he's not around. Then people think I know him. Uh, anyway, uh, let's kick this show off. Got some interesting topics for you guys today. Um, so sustainability. Uh, I know. Yeah, I know everyone's like, oh, that's exciting. Sustainability. <laughs> great, great intro there, Jacques. Um, Adidas and has been working with Parley. See, now it's coming together for you guys, right? Adidas and Parley have been working together, creating um, new uppers. I shouldn't say they're creating new uppers. They're creating uppers out of plastic and they've been doing it for the ultra boost they did it for um a couple of different shoes there was one for la one for london one for tokyo one for new york city and this is a a bit of a movement because they're helping to uh keep the earth clean and they're what they call upcycling materials to use on the shoes and i know nike has actually been doing this as well but Adidas is taking it a step further, and they're saying that they're going to be using plastic on their shoes like completely by the year 2024. So, Tiffany, I'm going to tap you on this one just to kind of tap in and explain to us what that means when it says Adidas will only use recycled plastics by 2024. What do you think that means as an engineer? Yeah, so that pretty much means like there's when you deal with a material of plastic, you have virgin, which is basically like brand new material. It was generated just for your use or you have recycled, which has already been used in some form or another, and you're going to reuse it again. That means they're not going to use any virgin material whatsoever in their product. And they also say they're not going to use it in their offices, retail outlets, warehouse, distribution centers. So that means like all their furniture, all like just about everything has to be from recycled content. That is an incredible statement to make. I absolutely love it. It's it's a large challenge though that is for sure because you don't get the same properties especially when you're talking about performance footwear or performance sportswear products you don't get the Uh same properties out of recycled material that you do virgin material like virgin material it's been engineered for that property once it's been recycled once you generally you know there's some contamination there's some dirt there's some other things going on plus it's already been processed once so it will never be kind of new again but It'll be fascinating to see how they implement it. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I, wow. I think it's I think it's totally awesome. I mean, it's I think the article says it's it'd save an estimated forty tons of plastic per year, which is just like unfathomable. Um, right. But you know, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting. There's a like tidbit down towards the bottom of the article. Basically, says that by summer, spring, and summer of 2019, 41 percent of the apparel line will already contain recycled um, polyester. So that's, that, I mean, it's just huge that, steps, that's yeah. So uh, so Tiffany, can you, um, and this is gonna be a bit of a chemistry lesson, but can you do like a layman's term for like, what does that mean, like 41% recycled polyester? Like, what does that mean when it comes to plastic and like the materials and like, how does that work? Yeah, so you, you you have to pick that statement apart just a little bit. So Adidas said it's a pair line for the spring and summer of 2019 will contain around 41% recycled polyester. So we don't know if there are silhouettes or items that are 100% recycled and that 40 out of 100 will be 
you know, the recycled ones where the rest will still not be recycled. Like we don't really know what it means or does it mean like there's a label on a product that is recycled or some of the fibers are recycled or maybe the outsoles recycled. Um, so you kind of don't know, I guess you can just assume that of, of a hundred percent of what they're going to have on market in those two seasons, somewhere in there, almost 50% is recycled, which is unheard of phenomenal. And and polyester, that's like a a thread basically that they use, right? Yeah. Polyester is probably the most common fiber that you'll find. It's just really easy to use. It's really easy to process. Um, like all of your yarns that are like threads in the store that, that, uh, you can buy it like Joann's or anything like almost a hundred percent polyester. There's some nylons and some specialty ones, but mostly everything's polyester. Most of your fabrics are made out of polyester, your shirts and, and things. It's just a really great, um, plastic that gets extruded and spun into yarn. Okay, so that so for a lot of people that don't know that, like it's not a natural thread generally that they're using on your shirts. It's a most of your shirts are made out of some sort of plastic and polyester cotton blend sort of thing. Yeah, so cotton generally is a natural spun fiber, but um, polyester, nylon, spandex, those are all synthetic plastic fibers, if you will, that are different formulas of materials. Got it. So, and this is something I try to explain in my videos as well. When people think about prime knit, they all they often think about the thread in particular. Um, but it's not. But prime knit isn't the thread. It's the actual way that the knitting is happening. Um, is that the same thing with fly knit? Is it fly knit isn't a particular thread, but it's more of the process of creating the 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 thread. I mean, the pre- creating like the patterns and the way that it's made, right? Yeah, it's more of the process that it's constructed. So the prime knit and fly knit, they're both referring to knitting machines. And now they may knit differently based on what they've developed over time, but they all use threads or fibers. Generally you call them mm-hmm. fibers. Um, and the fibers can be all kinds of different, like there's stretch fibers, there's um, bondable, fusible fibers, you know, like in Adidas's AM4LA, they fuse bond that upper to the tooling and uh someone wrote a comment saying that it it was actually using fused fused so it's basically a fiber that has adhesive on it uh that will automatically Mm -hmm. stick to something so yeah knit process just contains a whole bunch of fibers just like woven like the woven process contains a bunch of fibers to make fly weave which is nike's woven fabric so right got it got it so for let's say uh, you mentioned kind of like the, I guess like in, in like more layman's terms, like I guess like the the pliability of plastic that has been recycled is a little less, um, I don't know what the word would be, but like is that going to affect performance? Like I think of like, you know, like the, the top tiered athletes in the world obviously expect a very consistent feel and performance out of their shoes and their apparel right so is this more challenging then from a engineering standpoint absolutely i mean generally when you're you know when you're going to use recycled content you use a percentage of virgin content and a small percentage of recycled so that you still get most of the properties of the virgin material in this case it sounds like they're going full recycled so they will have to adjust and modify their processes to work with that material if you look at the am4la i just reviewed it actually posted it today or yesterday 
Um, that upper, the hand, they call the softness of a material, like when you, when you feel a shirt and it feels soft to you, it's called the hand. That hand of recycled materials is generally a little more abrasive, a little rougher, not quite so soft, not quite so pliable. Yes. And so from yep. a performance standpoint, it will definitely be a challenge. However, you've seen some amazing materials moving forward and materials of focus if we want to get more sustainable and many, many companies have been. So like we were talking earlier about um, cushioning and boost versus react, you know, the chemical companies are working on creating new foams for better performance. Well, same thing, those same chemical companies and the same plastics companies are working on new fibers to get more sustainable. Like that'll be a constant that we see in these industries moving forward. Interesting. So when you guys, so like for the parley stuff, uh, a lot of, you know, just to, to kind of further along this explanation is that when they, when they say this, the parley shoes, like it's the fibers that are made out of the parley plastic that they're recycling, not the, uh, not actually the shoe isn't made of plastic but probably is providing the fabrics that are that are helping with that design so that's pretty cool and like if you read actually further along down into that article it says something like by the year 2050 that there will be more plastic uh what it says research shows there will be more plastic than fish by weight in the world's ocean by 2050 um and only 14 percent of uh, what is it only on a global basis only 14 percent of plastic is collected for recycling um that's crazy. as compared to yeah which is which is compared to 50 percent 58 percent of paper and 90 percent of iron and steel is recycled which is pretty insane um and this is this kind of all goes like I think we all rely on plastic in a way and we don't necessarily think about it that way about how much plastic we use in our everyday lives um but there is just a ton of it that comes into play with uh with everything that we do so it's pretty cool to see adidas taking a step and really making that change um and i think it's it's obviously better for the world which is obviously a big deal yeah i think gotta change the world i think it's i think it's cool to see companies get behind this too like um i just not too long ago read an article saying that seattle is going to ban plastic straws in the city um and i know that starbucks is trying to eliminate plastic straws from its stores over the next whatever amount of time um and then even in this article like they talk about ikea and mcdonald's you know taking like single-use plastic out of their stores and restaurants and like it's just you know like personally this is like something that's i'm very passionate about just because you know you see so much of it right and like we're so kind of wasteful it's just cool to to take something like that and turn it into a positive because I feel like, you know, we, we, we touched on this on a previous episode, but I feel like there's so much more that, you know, that brands could do like this. It might, might be challenging. It might mean that they have to employ a few more engineers or whatnot, but it also like those challenges are what like kind of, you know, in my opinion, like give them like a definite competitive advantage over brands that aren't, you know, aggressively going after these kind of like, you know, things that affect our world so much yeah and the the actual level of challenge that it is is way bigger than you would actually think because so if you get a pile of recycled polyester every batch that you get can be different based on where it came for from how it was cleaned like there are so many different variables which means that every batch of product that you make out of that can be slightly different so your quality 
and your um, ability to recreate the same thing over and over becomes very, very complicated. So if you look at how many plastics are out there, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of polymers, you know, thousands like polyethylene, polypropylene, polyester, polyether, like they all have to be recycled separately. There's not a system right now that can recycle different plastics together. And like, if you take a shoe, for example, you know, there's rubber, there's the midsole foam, and then you have the upper. And technically that's all plastic. Those are all polymers, but they can't be recycled together. You have to take them apart and separate them. The adhesives are even polymer based. So it's it's a very uh-huh. complex system and we've become, become so used to just using plastic for everything. Like, I mean, in this room I'm sitting in, like literally I'm looking at probably 85% plastic. I mean, it's just so useful, but challenges. Wow. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for a plastics job. <laughs> yeah. A recycling job. And, and, and I imagine plastic is pretty, is it, is it that, is, is it, is it twofold? Like plastic is easy and I don't want to say easy, but easy or cheaper or cheaper or less expensive to make. And it's pretty malleable. And as far as what you can do with it, is that what the, uh, is that what the use, that's that where the usage comes from? Yeah, absolutely. It's lighter weight. Like the strength to weight ratio is pretty good compared to like wood and, uh, steel obviously, but then there's materials like carbon fiber and things like that, that are even better than plastic, but their price is so high. So yeah, it's just the ability and the flexibility to tweak it, the polymer to your specific application is, is incredible. What's kind of, what's kind of interesting about this that just made me think of it is, um, you know, like we, we kind of went to a place with sneakers, uh, or at least it feels like it probably like 2008, 2009, where, there were a lot of like brands. I mean, there still are like brands pushing like the like vegan, you know, this is a vegan shoe. But on the flip side of that, like that potentially could mean that that shoe is just made out of all plastics, right? Like, or, or forms of plastic, right? And like if it's all man-made synthetic material, some yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean, basically. Like, oh, yeah. But oh, you, yeah, I didn't think about that. You Which, have to also remember at the... It behind plastic is actually oil. Yeah. Right. Yep. O- oil makes plastic, so you're tapping into natural resources there too. So um, it depends on. I mean, is there vegan oil? I guess. <laughs> I guess it could be. Yeah. Vegan. <laughs> no. I, I, the reason why I thought of it is because I just remember like uh, a couple of like Air Max 90s that were like uh, when they hit the blogs back then. It was like a big deal that they were vegan Air Max 90s and. You know, there's plenty, like, all the brands have done some form of that, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of marketing it in a way that makes it sound like it's better for, you know, animals or for the environment or whatnot. But, like, at the same time, like, you know, I think, like, all of these things have, like, a double-edged sword of some sense. And, like, this conversation is great. Like, for me, like, I'm just learning so much about it because, I mean, to think that all of those things, all those different various plastics have to be recycled independently of each other is, is like kind of bananas because I would think of them, you know, like, uh, like this is very simple, but like, I think of like, if you had to start a fire, it doesn't really matter what the wood you put in the fire is, right? Like you can throw all types of wood in it. You just need to burn the fire to, you know, stay warm or whatever. Right. Yeah. I was, I was trying to think of an analogy that works, but I haven't yet. All I can think of is food-based ones, and that's just gross. So um, basically, 
the other thing you have to think if you have a jersey or a shirt that's 100% recycled polyester the uh-huh. second time that it gets recycled now that material's been recycled twice and then the third time it gets recycled it gets re- it's three times like the further you get from virgin material the properties get worse and worse and worse and there does become a point where you can't use it anymore or it has to be such a low percentage um, or it really impacts your color or your properties entirely. Wow. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're gonna work with that and how they're gonna recycle too, because I mean, if the whole world gets on board and does a good job, we might run out of recycled materials. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, it'd be a great problem to have. That'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah, my buddy, my buddy AJ, she just went on a, uh, on a ship, uh, on a research vessel, and they went out to, um, to like these islands that are literally out in the ocean just made of plastic and seeing how they impacted animals and stuff like that like animals with like plastic caught around their necks and that are eating plastic and that have like bellies full of plastic or animals that die just because they have these it's crazy it's pretty crazy how much plastic impacts our planet and i don't think people realize it or they because it's not it's not something that's visible because we just kind of throw it away and it goes to uh, um a trash dump and we don't see all of it but it's pretty crazy and, and the fact that like these these sneaker brands are really um taking taking an effort at least to to really help fix that situation and fix that problem is is commendable i didn't think it was as hard as you as you just you just told us it was tiffany in my in my mind they just got all the plastics and put them in a giant pot and steered them all together and squeezed them out into a new shoe um in my mind but obviously that's why you're on this show and i'm just <laughs> the guy with the sexy voice uh, so Keeping keeping that in mind, uh, I think that's pretty cool. So shout out to Adidas and uh, everyone that's making that uh, making that move. Now, uh, talking about putting everything in a pot and squeezing out a shoe, uh, Big Baller Brand uh, is a part of Skechers. Uh, that was a terrible transition, and I, I just wanted I just wanted to say Big Baller Brand in there somewhere. Um, so Brand Black is actually parting ways with Skechers. I don't know how many of you out there know this, but Brand Black is actually owned by Skechers, or was previously owned by Skechers, and Brand Black is actually who does the designs for Big Baller Brand through their offshoot creative design agency. So in my mind, Big Baller Brand are Skechers. Uh, how accurate that is is probably none at all, um, but I'm throwing it out there just for you guys to listen <laughs> and to take somewhere else and say that you heard it on this show. Um, but it's, it's pretty interesting to to see the the trajectory of Brand Black and as to see Skechers take to to embrace a brand like Brand Black and create a brand that's really completely different from what they do. Skechers obviously has the name of the. Uh, uh, has the reputation of just copying what other brands do. Um, but Brand Black was kind of like their own sort of cool thing. Um, so I guess my, my question is without the investment of Skechers and all the money that Skechers can do, can a brand like Brand Black survive in today's world? Uh, I mean, I think it'd be tough, right? Like Brand Black obviously has a much more, a much bigger um you know, presence now than they really ever have. Um, and I would assume that that's because they've had, you know, Skechers money behind them. But at the same time, like, I think that, you know, Skechers, Skechers is a very formulaic company, right? Like they basically take a design that sells, they make 
the maximum number of pairs that they can sell and they discount them you know once they have topped out on their profit and move on to the next and you know they'll they'll move into whatever brand you know is hot right if it's Yeezys they make a, a version of Yeezys for the person that only wants to spend 40 50 dollars on a pair of shoes and you know I personally I feel like there's you know there's a place for that in the world but at the same time like that as far as the partnership goes I feel like it's just like good riddance like brand black is going to be better off you know from a creative standpoint without the you know kind of let's say overlord of the person putting the money in the business right um because they came from a very authentic place you know it was a very you know i think the i'm pretty sure i can't remember the guy's name but i'm pretty sure he's from like the family that started kenzo the paris fashion fashion brand which yep you know like that that's a long line of of fashion oriented you know kind of people and I, i definitely remember seeing interviews where he was talking about you know collecting nikes and jordans back in the day so um, I, I don't know, T- Tiffany, do you think that money behind a brand is, you know, like how important is that? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, this is obviously purely from my own perspective. I don't really have a ton of, um, knowledge about this, but I would say, you know, where, where money comes direction, right? And, um, anytime money is leading your direction it's leading your design it's leading you know it impacts a hundred percent of stuff you know so it's hard to find it's hard to be independent from where you're getting money i guess is what i think and so i'd love to know more about why brand black actually and sketchers kind of fell apart it was surprising to me that they were even associated i had no idea that sketchers owned them so um, i think they'll do well uh, outside of Skechers, because um, they would have learned all of the basics and all of, you know, that's a that's mm-hmm. a thing with associating with a big bigger brand. You get to see how mass production really happens, and Skechers, no doubt, can produce a lot of shoes. So, they will have learned all of the fundamentals, if you will, from Skechers, which is right. fantastic. If you start on your own, you don't get that. You have to learn it on your own, and that's a very big curve, learning curve. Yeah. So. I think they'll do well because they they've had that experience. One thing that I, I yeah. So here's oh go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say one thing that's interesting is I'm just reading a little bit more into that article. It says that uh, in April, Skechers, who was the majority shareholder due to their large investment in Brand Black, decided they no longer wanted to support the brand, and that was from you know the the CEO or whatever the founder, um, David Ray's. Which is which is interesting because you you. You would think that Skechers would want to be a part of the energy, <laughs> something cool. Yeah, yeah something cool uh, or some sort of energy. But maybe they're making so much money. I mean, obviously, they're making money hand over fist that that they've decided that that energy market or that cool market doesn't matter to them. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And the, the and I guess that also begs another question. Did they say they don't want to be a part of it anymore because they don't want to be a part of the spectacle um, and the uh, the genius marketing that comes along with Big Baller brand um, and knowing that Big Baller brand is uh, a part of brand black and that somehow reflects on Skechers as a company. Um, that's interesting. That, that could definitely be the case because, you know, just thinking about the people that I know that are familiar with, you know, LeVar Ball and all of that kind of stuff 
the age range that appreciates him or finds him entertaining is absolutely younger, you know, like I would say like teens to 20s, you know, some, some into the 30s. But I would argue for Skechers as a brand, their target audience is probably 40 to 60 year olds. Like that's, you know, it's someone who wants to have something that, you know, looks kind of cool, but they don't really care if it's a real brand name, you know, not that Skechers isn't, but like they, they don't, they're not wearing it for the brand name, right? They're wearing it because they think it's comfortable and they think it looks okay. So that, you know, like LeVar Ball could be absolutely, you know, part of the reason of that and big baller brand being associated with brand black could be, you know, uh, like the polarizing thing that, you know, Skechers kind of just said that we've got to back away from this. Yeah, that's that's super super interesting. Uh, it makes me, yeah. I, now now I'm really starting to wonder why Skechers would pull away, and yeah, hmm. I I don't. I, I'm curious. So I don't think that. I mean, it takes money to be um, to be the popular or the heat product, right? Like it it takes a lot of money to to get those collabs and all that stuff to come together versus the money that you get from it. Like Nike and Adidas, they're so big, they have enough money to like do that inspiration stuff off to the side and and kind of make it happen and it doesn't necessarily impact their bottom line. But a company like Skechers, you know, they're at a lower price point. Um, they they sell a different kind of pro- product. I It might have just simply been a bit business decision that they didn't have enough funds to support it in the way that they wanted to be supported. You know, it's, it, you have to pay all the influencers. You've, you've got a lot of different um, costs associated with that. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, and I think too, like the, the, you're, the markets are so drastically different for a brain black shoe and Skechers, right? And, and or even like Big Baller brand, throw that in the mix, yeah. right? Like it's gonna fall on the brand black side, but brand black is, is, you know, a very boutique type shoe type company, right? Like that's pretty much everywhere you're gonna find them is, you know, in like the, the smaller stores, maybe like the higher end, you know, big box stores. But I, I just think like the, the partnership seems odd thinking back on it now, like, you know, I wonder at what point Skechers got involved and, you know, like it, it absolutely seems, you know, looking at like, like you said, like, you know, the, the money is like driving everything. Right. So like those, you know, few founders or, you know, handful of people that worked on brand black for the first, you know, few years where they were really hustling and, and bringing it to market probably are, I mean, it's probably a mutual parting. It's, you know, they're, they're happy to have a little less they've probably learned a lot from sketchers and they also don't want to have to go down the path of thinking about like seeing their what they probably are proud of at a hundred and fifty dollar shoe or whatever get dropped down to like a forty fifty dollar shoe you know in a sketcher store down the road because you know at some point it does become a, a business decision and a money decision for the company so yeah and it could come down to production space you got to fight over production space like you know, brand black wants this model to be bigger and more, but there's just not enough volume with everything else going on. Like there's, I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios that would make sense for brand black to go do their own thing. Right. Yeah. And you can never, I mean, you never know, I guess you could see maybe that is their, like their goal. Maybe brand black's goal was to be bigger and maybe they were button heads with the people that sketchers and they never wanted to give them that room or that, 
you know, the, the room to really do what they wanted to do. And so it became a bigger issue. So it's always, always infinite possibilities here, but I guess it's just interesting to see them go. I thought brand black would hopefully, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I was like, my thought was that brand black would always kind of grow out and to be this bigger brand, but just because they're not with Skechers doesn't mean that they can't anymore. So just they have to do it in a, in a different way, which is interesting. I mean, and as crazy as it sounds like the, the energy around big baller brand, even though like, I'm not really a fan of, you know, the antics that go along with it. It definitely is all over LA. You can't go anywhere in LA without seeing somebody wearing big baller brand stuff. And I think that, I think that, you know, this kind of, you know, back to our conversation from a few weeks back about LeBron, like that's the kind of support that I think it's, it's almost overlooked in a sense, right? Like if something can become regionally that powerful, you know, I would, I would even, it's, you know, you would never know, but I would even guess that Big Baller Brand is probably, maybe not the footwear, but the brand itself is probably more well-known and more represented, you know, by people wearing it in LA than Brand Black is across the world. Yeah. So. I would say probably, I would definitely imagine that more people know about Big Baller Brand than they know about Brand Black. And that's just, that's just, you know, that's just the nature of you know, with Lonzo being in the NBA mm-hmm. and how big of a spectacle his dad became. So that's for sure. I'd agree with that 100%. But moving on from Big Baller Brand, uh, Jordan did a collaboration with Vogue. Or Vogue did a collaboration with Jordan. I don't know exactly how to put that, but the Jordan brand folks, um, they have a collaboration coming out with Vogue, I guess is the way that we're going to put it. But So really, um, it's an interesting take because women – uh, are a big focus in the sneaker world right now. If you look anywhere uh, with the marketing, with the messaging that we're getting on TV, that it's a heavy, heavy focus on women, which is awesome because there are a lot of women sneakerheads that don't that don't get the shine that they deserve. But they're becoming a bigger focus in the world today. And so this latest collaboration with Vogue is a little, I would say, a little, a little out of nowhere, just because it's with a, a magazine. And so that that's a little bit odd, at least in my eyes. I, I guess I can see Vans and Thrasher doing some sort of collab, but with Vogue, it just seems weird. Is that just me, or am I off here? Uh, no, you're. I, I don't understand it at all. I mean, the, uh, I think Anna Wintour is fantastic, but my question is, why would she do this collab? Like, it, I don't think this collab makes any sense at all, whatsoever, and I mean, Again, the level of collab, we kind of talked about this in the last episode, is like <laughs> minimal, right? Logo on the bottom, right. a tag, and sock liners. Um, right. And yeah, for yeah. $220, nonetheless. But I just don't get the story behind it. Like, she's amazing. Brand Jordan's amazing. I don't, like, does she have a passion for Brand Jordan and we just never heard about it? Does she wear sneakers? Like, I don't think she probably wears sneakers. Um, Wow. You know, like, help me understand why this makes sense at all. I mean, I kind of like the shoe, but, like, I don't know. I I don't know. There's so many other women they could have picked for the very first collab to just been, like, man, amazing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Go ahead. No, I think that there's definitely, you know, I, I think what they're trying to say is that, you know, let's say in this storyline that they're kind of putting together, right? Like Anna Winter, okay, is like, cool. That's been signed off from the very top. And that's kind of the nature of 
stories at Vogue. That's kind of the nature of stories at any magazine, right? Like you could, you're going to run it through, you know, a handful of people, then it's going to get to the next level. It's going to go to, you know, like maybe an executive editor, then it's going to go to, you know, potentially if the story is big enough, it's going to go to like the Anna Winter of whatever company you're writing for. And I think what they're trying to say is that the Jordan one in itself was, you know, the first kind of uh, the, the writer's, you know, version of the Jordan 1 and all these changes, you know, the zippers and the, you know, the hang tag and all that extra stuff and like the, the various changes that they made to the Jordan 1 are like as if she, you know, as if it got passed up the line of, of editing and she kind of signed off on it with, you know, the AWOK saying that this is her, ver- her you know, final version, you know, final edit of the story slash shoe. That's my. That's what I'm trying to. They're seeing that they're trying to do. I don't know that it works, but you're trying pretty yeah, hard. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess my my thing is I don't see. I guess I guess I don't see the the link to Jordan um, in any way. At the end of the day, it seems like there's always with Jordans. There seems to always be a tie to him. Yeah. To his game. To one of his moments. And um, and maybe I just missed it where the moment happens with him. Um, I, I get that they want to do women's colorways and like that's that's fine. But a collab with Vogue just I don't know. I, it, it feels like it's just two big brands linking up and there's really no true. And I hate to use this word synergy between them. There isn't a real tie between the two. I think they're just saying oh, this is a women's Jordan. It's the Air Air Jordan 1 high zip. And women read Vogue. So let's make a edited by Vogue line of Jordans. When, like, it just doesn't, just doesn't make sense again. I mean, it's, it's, Um, but again, it sounds like somebody, you know, in marketing or, you know, that side of the business was like, well, we're trying to get, you know, deeper into the women's business. We're trying to push the women's business. Who has the authority in women's fashion? And they went, oh, of course, Vogue, right? right? And, you know, Vogue. we right. all saw the, you know, Devil Wears Prada movie. So, like, that's the person that you want to collab with or whatever <laughs> it is, you know? I mean, really, like, that's probably it, right? So they're probably just thinking, though, this is the easiest way for us to reach as many people as we possibly can in this space. Um, but... I mean, I, yeah, I think but, like if, if I think the shoes themselves actually are really cool without the Vogue tie, like the zipper and, uh, you know, like the hang tag and the, the tongue tag being different, having this like kind of exaggerated tongue on it is, is really cool without the Vogue name attached to it personally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. first of all, tell me a woman designed that shoe, please, because now it's going to be famous because people won't understand collabs and they won't understand that the shoe already exists. So they'll think that Anna Wintour designed that shoe or something, you know, and like as whoever the designer is, and I hope it's a woman, but I don't know. I couldn't figure out who it was um, that, you know, they're not going to get any, like any credit for it. And tell me the story about how that designer worked with Anna Wintour and why they designed it in this way. You know what I mean? Like, tell me that story. Give me, like, I don't care. Like, just put Anna Wintour's name on a Jordan. Like, give me a break. (laughs) It kind of pisses pisses me off, right? Obviously, because it's, there's so much opportunity for it. And just slamming two big brands together without a story is, is garbage. That's not okay. Like, come on. 
Jordan Brand does yeah. way better than that in storing tallying, and I expect it in the women's especially. Especially in the women's. And it, it really it was like, some. I feel like somebody was at a meeting and was like, how do we get Jordans into Vogue? Someone was like, let's make a collab with Adam Tour. That'll get him into Vogue. And now these Jordans will definitely be in vogue. Yeah. Yep. And it was probably an email. She was like, uh, add a tongue tag and put my signature. Done. <laughs> like, they, like, did they even meet, you know? A little. Funny you say that. Uh, it says uh, the, they, have a, they have four shoes, two, uh, the, the two ones and then the two threes. And it says the metallic black tweed was well received at another meeting in New York. But Vogue's editors requested an additional red version resulting in four shoes. Anna Wintour drew an arrow on the illustration to show that she wanted tweed on the heel as well. So it really was like Anna Wintour, like, I don't even know. I feel like they never even met her. She was just like, okay, that's cool. Let's do it. And someone sent her shoes and she was like, I'm going to draw an arrow because I want tweed here. And they put tweed there and now it's a collection. Yeah. You know what? She has a collection. I don't. (laughs) So who am I? You know what I think is the the most... uh, I don't know. I feel like the most slap in the face part of this to the entire like women's brand of what Jordan's trying to push it or, you know, Nike um, is that they already went out with collaborations before, right? Like, yes, Vashti, Lely May, like athletes, like Maya Moore should have been involved in this. Like, like they're bringing yes. back the 23. That shoe is like, almost as popular with her colorways because it was like kind of the the start of like not the start but it was like when elevated when player exclusives in the WNBA were elevated to like mainstream sneaker uh, you know kind of stories and success and like this seems like a total like disrespectful move to to all of those people in my opinion so this is this is classic right classics versus heat right so like I've been in the game a little while and this is like annoying to me, right? But to most of the people reading Vogue, they will have probably never bought a sneaker like this in their life, right? If they have, it was right. like a running shoe. So now you're gonna see women's sneaker head grow massively, I think because of this. And that's probably what they were going for. They probably didn't care necessarily that the story, anyone cared about it that's been there, that's already a, a fan of the brands, you know? Right. This is more about this is more about expanding the brand yep. to those who are not in the circle, those who won't be listening to this podcast probably if we're gonna yep. keep it one hundred. Yep. Um so but that is that is what it is. So just for those out there that are interested in the collection, uh these will be available starting July twenty first at I don't even know how to say this say this store name, Hirschlifiers, Hirschlifers? I don't know. Uh, Kith Nordstrom and uh, at Jumpman Doors like 306 Young in Toronto, 32 South State, uh, South State in Chicago, and it'll also be available on sneakers on July 23rd. And then the three will be available starting September 7th, I assume, at those same locations. Anyway, so with that being said, guys, this is another episode of the Outside the Box podcast. I am Jacques Slade. You can find me all over the internet at Cousteau. And uh, again, this show would not be what it is without the other two that are on this show. Again, I am the teacher's assistants, and they are the professors. Uh, Nick Ingvall and Tiffany Beers. Nick, Nick, tell them where they can find uh, you. You can find me on all platforms at Nick Ingvall, N-I-C-K. E-N-G-V-A-L-L and on sneakerhistory.com at sneakerhistory on all platforms as well but mostly I'm just uh, kind of the third wheel here and Tiffany's the star of the show so Tiffany let them know where they can find uh, you 
Uh, Tiffany Beers on all platforms, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-B-E-E-R-S. And mostly on LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. <laughs> Instagram and YouTube. There you go. So uh, again, as always, guys, we appreciate you listening slash watching. And you can follow us follow us at Outside Pods on, uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. Or you can leave us a comment on YouTube or leave us a comment over on uh, SoundCloud, letting us know what you think about the show, if there's topics that you want us to discuss, or if you just want to tell me that I have a very good-looking face. With that being said, guys, <laughs> as always, we appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you here, you guys, next week. Peace.